3: whatever happened to vagrancy i've been around long enough to remember when not having any means of support you know and uh, hanging on the street begging people for money that was called being a vagrant or a bum or maybe even a hobo and that kind of romanticized it a little bit Well, now you can't refer to anyone who's living on the street as anything but homeless. And in some places, they call it camping, which I guess means they're campers. They call it camping when uh, someone decides to pitch a tent on a public sidewalk. And unfortunately for the people who live in the area or work there around the tents, uh, tents don't have showers or bathrooms, so it it gets kind of messy around the camps. Now, I've also been around long enough to remember when camping meant, you know, uh, going out into the country and pitching a tent near a lake or, or a river and roasting marshmallows on the fire. I've actually never done that, but I, I think I have a pretty good idea what the concept used to be. Uh, in cities around the country, uh, San Diego, Portland, L.A., Seattle, uh, Democratic mayors have been uh, seeing to it that uh, camping on sidewalks and the pooping that comes with it is actually promoted, not just condoned, but almost Promoted, inviting homeless people to come down and uh, set up a camp. One place where they did it was in Austin, Texas, but on Saturday the voters told the idiotic mayor that they had had enough. They voted to reinstate a ban on camping that had been lifted by the mayor two years ago, and they did it by a 60 to 40 margin. I saw an interview with one woman by a local TV station down there in Austin, Uh, one woman who had voted for Proposition B to reinstate the ban. She said, quote, Every time I have to pick up human poop, and she didn't say poop. They bleeped it out. She says, every time I have to pick up human bleep, uh, my liberalness goes down a notch. Imagine that. I think that has to be the case for a lot of people. Got to believe that would be uh, the case in many of these other cities, too, if you went around and asked enough people. In our second half hour tonight, we're going to talk to Matt Makowiak. He was the co-founder of the movement called Save Austin Now. He's a guy with some Pittsburgh ties. And he will tell us how he was able in a liberal city that has ten Democrats and one Republican on its city council. Ten to one. Talk about it may as well be Havana. But when we come back uh, after this break, we're going to talk about something else. uh, How the CDC and teachers unions colluded to keep schools closed and may still be doing it. Stick around. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months, no interest financing, and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offers valid through 6-30-21. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warrant in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windows or us Pittsburgh.com. That's windows or us Pittsburgh.com.
4: Sounds and mounds of fur. Our hairballs have hairballs. Marquette, mama, she's 10 years old. She has dandruff and an oily coat. I have two cats, BP and Daisy. Daisy sheds like crazy. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them, to live long, healthy, happy lives. They even switched one little thing. They put their nose up to it. There was not one problem. Dynavite for life.
5: You won't
6: believe how happy your cat will be.
4: D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot
6: com. that micro support you need for all day comfort and help prevent fatigue. Not only that, my slippers are made with high quality leather and a premium indoor outdoor sole that make them extremely durable. I personally guarantee they're going to be the most comfortable slippers you'll
3: ever own. This is John Steyerwald. Visit mypillow.com for deep discounts on all my pillow products, including the new my slippers. Click the radio listener square and enter promo code STAG or call 800 716 8087. Remember, use that promo code STAG.
4: It's totally normal to be constipated with belly pain, straining, and bloating again and again. No
2: way. You could have a chronic condition called irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC. Linzess or linaclotide is a prescription that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess works differently than laxatives to help relieve belly pain and let you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than 6 and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a- Bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking s and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Talk to your doctor today. You may be able to save on S and make fewer trips to the pharmacy. See if you're eligible to pay as little as thirty dollars for ninety days. Visit Linzess.com or call one eight hundred L I N Z E S S. Sponsored by AbbVie and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals.
7: It seems like. Like just yesterday when I captured my son's first steps or when we recorded his soccer games on VHS tapes, those moments are gone. But the old home movies and pictures don't need to be. That's why my son created Legacy Box.
8: That's right, Mom. Over 800,000 families have used Legacy Box to digitally preserve their home movies and photos.
7: Simply fill Legacy Box with your old camcorder tapes, film, and photos. They will professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud.
8: With families staying close, and Mother's Day around the corner. It's the perfect time to get your Legacy Box and save your family's history. After all, few things are as important as protecting your precious memories. Give your mom a Mother's Day present she'll never forget.
7: Plus, Legacy Box is offering a
8: 50% discount. Order your Legacy Box today. Visit LegacyBox.com LBOX and for a limited time, get an incredible 50% off your order. This is one of the best discounts we've offered. That's LegacyBox.com LBOX for 50% off. LegacyBox.com LBOX.
6: The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer.
3: Well, His Excellency Tom Wolf said today that he thinks about reopening everything every day, but he's not quite ready yet. I don't know what that means, but meanwhile, down in Florida, Ron DeSantis, the governor there, isn't just thinking about it. He did it. And around the country, there are still lots of kids who are not allowed to go to school. And there's a disturbing story going around about the CDC and teachers unions and how they colluded on all this stuff. Paris Denard is the Republican Party national spokesperson and director of Black Media Affairs. And he joins us now. Paris, thanks for being here.
5: Hey, thanks for having me.
3: So um, what do we know about the CDC and teachers unions getting together to decide when schools should open?
5: Well, look, what we know is that there were some emails that came out, and the emails showed that the uh, teachers union uh, was influencing what the language should be and the guidance for reopening schools from the CDC. Now, we also know that the, CD, that the CDC uh, regularly has come out and said things that actually support uh, students going back to the, to the classroom. Uh, But we saw the Biden administration quickly try to walk those things back because it didn't fit into the narrative that they wanted for the American people, American families and, and our students. You know, so it's a shame right here during teacher appreciation week, which we're in this week, that we find out that the Biden administration was not following the data or the science when it came to reopening our schools. They were following the teachers
0: unions.
3: Yeah, well, that's not good. What was the effect of the unions uh, lobbying the CDC?
5: The effect is they, they it, it 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 changed what. Look, students are not in class. That's what it, that's what it did. It, it impacted the way the language that they used in terms of how to have uh, or how to open and the guidelines to reopen schools, and so it was written in a way that was closer in line to what the teachers union wants. And the teachers unions have been trying to slow down this process, trying to make it more difficult for students to actually get back in the classroom. So that's what we saw happen. And if the teachers union were on the side of, of, of of parents and students and science and data, they would be pushing for having our schools reopen full time in person, but that's not what they're pushing for. And how do we know that? Because that's not happening. And that's who the Biden team is listening to. Remember during the campaign trail, Joe Biden said you will have a card carrying member of the teacher's union in the white house. And he also said that, you know, under, under his administration, charter schools will be wiped out. So we know that Biden is going to be listening to the teacher's union. And we, but we also know that the American people, American family, parents, especially single mothers, they're listening to their children and the children are saying, students are saying, they're tired, their eyes hurt, they're depressed, they're falling behind in their in their learning. And this is not just elementary age uh, students. Up to the high school age kids are actually negatively been in, being impacted by being on a virtual lockdown when it comes to uh, learning. It's not good. But instead of being on the side of parents and being on the side of students, Joe Biden is on the side of the teachers union instead of putting our students and our families first.
3: Well, I don't uh, I mean, maybe this is an unfair question, but what do you suppose the why do you suppose the teachers unions think it's a good idea to not have kids in school? I mean, are they just looking for some free time off?
5: You know, that's a question for the teachers unions, why they feel like that they don't want to do that. And I think I think the other question is for the Biden administration. Why does the Biden administration not want it? Why does the Biden administration uh, from the from the White House podium when the CDC director came out and said the di- the science and the data shows that children can safely return back to school and that the the transmit rate is extremely low for students to children to transmit and receive the, the, the virus, that they should be able to safely go back to school. The White House press secretary walked that back tremendously and said that she was the CDC director was speaking from her personal uh, capacity in her personal capacity, mind you, this was at the CDC with the CDC backdrop at the CDC headquarters, and right. that she does not set policy. So, the real question is why is the Biden administration not pushing or incentivizing or trying to open up the schools, knowing full well that the science and the data supports that students should be in school? They're, they're probably better off in class than they are sitting at home.
3: What's interesting though i mean it's, it's perplexing or something um, is that uh, so you know, the the question for me is what uh, uh, what is the reason for the the teachers union unions for um for not wanting the kids back in school what what could it possibly be other than just taking advantage of an opportunity and going to the beach instead of going to school i mean at some point well, there's got to be a reason it, it, why they're doing it what's in it for them I,
5: I've been asking the questions to the teachers union and, and, and Democrats for a long time. Why would they be against school choice? Why would they be, why would they want to have children trapped in, 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 in failing, in failing public schools? Why are they mm-hmm. against having accountability for, for, for schools to do better and have metrics and, and goals and, and guidelines so that they can be, that they can improve and actually be better. You know, why would you not want to want to remove bad teachers? Cause not all teachers are bad. A lot of, most of our teachers are doing a fantastic job, and, and, our, and, and our unsung heroes. But there are some teachers that are not doing a great job and they should, not, they should retire and not be teaching. But we have unions and, and teachers unions and, and these administrators standing in the way for progress, for growth, for development, for innovation. And so when you have these big government systems, when you have bu- bureaucracy, when you have these unions, you know, they get in the way of progress, they get in the way of growth, they get in the way of innovation, and they stop representing the, the, the actual people that they need to be helping, which are students, and they're standing up against, you know, actually, there are a lot of teachers out here that are saying, we want to go back and work. Teachers have been for years, you know, in the classroom with all hosts of different types of uh, viruses and, and diseases that, that come through the classroom, and they and they have been inoculated, they've been vaccinated, and they, they keep going on and they, because they love to teach teachers right now, want to do their job. They want to provide for their families and they have a heart for children, a heart for students. And they want to actually make sure that their students are okay because they know their students, they know the impact, the negative impact impact, especially the disproportionate impact that it's having on black and Hispanic students when it comes to the education gap and, and math and science and things of that nature. And so during teacher appreciation week, I think the Biden administration needs to come out and say, teachers, we want we appreciate you and we want to get you back in the classroom, not in two months, not in six months, but tomorrow, because the science and the data shows that that can be happening full time in person five days a week.
3: Talking to Paris Denard, he's the Republican Party national spokesperson and director of black media affairs. Um, And uh, I think I don't know if it was just today that he said it, but just in the last day or two anyway uh president biden still will not commit to opening all the schools in the fall he, he's not he, he won't say it in september he's not yes, he's not going to be ready
5: and we've seen officials try to change what he didn't truly say what he tried to say what he meant to say he didn't really commit to that the the size of the data is very it's clear so it, it's just at some point we have to stop and say you know, the old phrase, got to call a spade a spade. At some point we have to say the Biden administration is not standing up for American families and America's children because there's no reason why to, we need to prolong this nightmare. But it's the same reason why we, the small businesses are asking, why are you not allowing us to open up? You know, the, the mayor of DC, these Democrats that are controlling these cities and these school boards and these states, you know, the, the mayor of DC, as a great example, won't allow, uh, you to have dancing at your reception you, you yeah. can have wedding a reception, reception yeah you can have a wedding, but you cannot dance at the reception i mean some of these things are just joe biden and his own mask policy you can wear a mask if you're outside but it has to be small gatherings but you don't have to if you're vaccinated but then so joe biden fully vaccinated walks outside on a regular basis with a mask on but then he, today, he approaches a small child and pulls his mask down to say something. It's, just, yeah. it, 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 <laughs> it's, it's confusing to the American people. Uh. His policies on openings are confusing. His policies on masks are confusing. And, and putting Kamala Harris in charge of the borders confusing because she refuses to go down there. So we're just leaving the American people, especially our parents and, and, and are out here, just in a, in a, in a, in a cycle of confusion because we don't know how to move forward. He talks about building back better. We're building back backwards.
3: Yeah, um, getting back to the story, um, I wanted to ask you about the the, uh, uh, the story that the uh, CDC and the teachers unions were kind of in cahoots with the White House as to uh, when to announce that schools could open and lots of other policies related to what's going on in the schools. Uh, the American Federation of Teachers director for health issues called the CDC their thought partners. Uh, mm. You know, why do you suppose they never made that relationship public?
5: <laughs> they didn't want to make that relationship public because they didn't want to have the American people, especially our our, our parents, feel as if a, a, a teachers union was dictating policy on on, mm-hmm. on the reopening. And, and so they probably don't want them to understand how, much, how many millions of dollars did the uh, AFT, I think there's their acronym, how, much, how many millions of dollars did they send to the Biden campaign and other Democrats across the country? You know, it's, it's a lack of transparency and a lack of honesty when it comes to what is really guiding their decisions. If their decisions were purely guided upon the interests of America's students, then, they, then the teachers unions would get out of the way, and allow the data, the science, and the fact, and scientists, guide the reopening. And if they were to do that, the schools would be open. And, that, and that's, that's the bottom line.
3: Well, we're talking to Paris Denard, uh, Republican Party National Spokesperson and Director of Black Media Affairs, and you worked in, worked in the Bush administration. Uh, you've been around politics a long time. Can you try to explain to uh, us why, I mean, uh, how much power can a union have over the white house over a president based on the amount of money that they give i mean at what point does the um, does the, the do the people who are getting the money still stand up and say well you know thanks for the money but we, we're not going that far and this is what we're going to do i mean how do they continue to uh, get their way just by throwing money at the at the democrats at some point it's got to end doesn't it
5: well, uh, it, it comes with a, it's called accountability. And we have to start holding these people accountable, these Democrats accountable for their actions and how it correlates to uh, campaign donations. And I will tell you that there are principled conservative groups. I believe Heritage Foundation is one that said that they weren't going to receive any donations from, you know, big tech. I think there's, you've seen a, a, that happening as well, campaign donations because of what the big tech has been doing. But, it, but it's not it's not even just limited to what we see with the teachers' unions. We've seen how Planned Parenthood and the donations that come from them and yeah. how that infiltrates the Democrat Party, and that's, that dictates their policy, and that dictates how they act and what policies that they enact or what they try to block because of that powerful uh, d- donor base. And so we need to have more politicians, more public servants that are that are standing up for the American people and putting the American people first, that's what President Trump and congressional Republicans did over the past four years, and that's what we're going to do when we make sure that Republicans take back the House and the Senate, because it's time out for these these games. These games are, are horrible.
3: Uh, um, but um, at, at what point do the does the um, I mean, how, what happens if the seed, if the teachers unions say? Uh, I mean, if the White House tells the teachers unions, you know what? Leave us alone. We're going with this. We're opening the schools. I mean, what would be the what what recourse would the with the teachers unions have? I mean, how much power does that money that they give give them? Well, oh, I mean, what's what, 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 what would the Democrats be worried about uh, upsetting the? I know. I mean, obviously they get the money, but it's what at what point does it become politically better for the Democrats to tell the teachers unions to take a hike?
5: Well, it's because it's because the teachers' unions try to – There's are certain areas where they can deliver votes. Uh, there are certain teachers' unions, you know, these big unions, they deliver votes to them. They deliver uh, contributions. They deliver people to go door knocking and, and put out flyers and phone banking. So, you know, in many ways, these unions become uh, pseudo-political operations for Democrats, and they rely on them for votes. They rely on them for – Campaign contributions and they rely on them for people to do their work, like phone banking and the, the GOTV to get out the vote work. So it's, it's a well coordinated, uh, well fueled, financially um, game that they play on the Democrat side with these, these unions. And they use them and it's, it's, it's to benefit the union. And the union looks out for the union and the uh, Democrat recipient looks out for. The union, and not for the American people, and that's the problem.
3: I got about a minute left, Paris. Uh, will the Republicans exploit this to promote school choice? Uh, I, I, I'm a little disappointed with Republicans over the years. They talk about school choice, but I don't see them walking the walk very much.
5: Well, I, I think it depends on where you live. If you look at places like Florida, if you look at places like Arizona, they're very strong on the issue of school choice. And I think, and especially the District of Columbia when it comes to what Republicans in Congress did because it's a federal district. So I think that the issue of school choice is one that is very, very important. I know Senator Tim Scott out of South Carolina has been pushing that in that state as well. And so I think this is an opportunity for us during national, to nationally uh, talk about this issue on, on Teacher Appreciation Week, to focus on teachers that want to be back in the classroom and to highlight the the disparities and the problems that's been going on because of COVID-19, keeping so many students out of the the school system. And we can say emphatically that, yes, this is another example why school choice is is important because school choice empowers parents and it it has more thought put on the student than it does the, than it does on the system of educating. Uh, We need to get back to focusing on parents and focusing on the students. School choice does that. And opening up our schools uh, full-time in-person does that as well. And we're going to make sure that the American people uh, know that we're standing up for our our students, we're standing up for our parents, and we are pushing for those teachers who want to be back in the classroom to be able to get back in the classroom and do what they do best, which is teach our children.
3: Hey, Paris, I'm out of time. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's Paris Denard, Republican Party National Spokesperson and Director of Black Media Affairs. We'll be right back.
1: With SRN News, I'm John Scott. President Biden and the First Lady are in coastal Virginia today to promote his plans to increase spending on education and children. Part of his $1.8 trillion families proposal announced last week. Meanwhile, the Senate's top Republican says the president's $4 trillion infrastructure package will get no votes from members of his party. Senator Mitch McConnell says his party is willing to support upwards of $6 billion on roads and bridges, but he blasts the president's plan as, quote, a $4.1 trillion grab bag which has infrastructure in it but a whole lot of other stuff. In addition to funding infrastructure projects, the president's plan would include trillions for everything from in-home care to the Green New Deal. In McConnell's words, if it's going to be about infrastructure, let's make it about infrastructure. Bob Agnew reporting. Stocks remain mixed now. The Dow up 306 points, but the Nasdaq is down 43. This is SRNU. Are you dealing with personal or business tax issues with the IRS? Does the thought of wage garnishments, bank levies, tax penalties, or having to engage with the IRS worry you? Owing taxes to the IRS or state can be stressful, and ignoring them can make your situation worse. At Federal Tax Law Group, we help individuals and businesses reduce debts and negotiate with the IRS Fresh Start Program. Our assistance can save you from drowning in taxes and may even keep you free of prosecution. With over two decades of experience, our tax professionals understand your needs and will customize a tax solution that's in your best interest. Call Federal Tax Law Group at 800-500-9172 for a free consultation to discuss resolving your tax problem. That's 800-500-9172. Again, 800-500-9172. Or visit us online at federaltaxlawgroup.com.
2: Charlie Kirk wants to know what the mask is doing to our minds. What has not been discussed at all is what are the potential downsides of masks? I do not even mean epidemiologically or medically. It's talking from a human perspective. Do you think that we are appreciating each other's humanity more or less? The Charlie Kirk Show, weeknights at 9 on AM 1250. The answer.
3: This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Writing an estate plan is one thing. Having the experience to administer the estate is something else. At Abernathy & Hagerman, estate administration isn't a side job. It's what we do. You have the same goals we all do. To protect your assets, to minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones that you love. How you get there, that's specific to you. So let's talk. Hagerman Law. Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offers valid through 6 21 All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windows or Us, Pittsburgh.com. That's windows or Us, Pittsburgh.com. AM
2: 1250 and FM 92.5. The
3: Answer. WPGP
2: Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in. iHeart or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer.
4: Looks like a little congestion now on outbound 65 Eckerd Street to the McKees Rocks Bridge. About a four-minute delay on the Parkway West. That's looking busy outbound as you approach Carnegie, taking a couple extra minutes there. Inbound on the Parkway East, heavy into the Fort Pitt Bridge. Outbound minor delays to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel with some volume there. We're good on the Parkway North right now. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM
2: 1250, the answer, weather. We'll see an evening thunderstorm around, otherwise cloudy and mild tonight. Expect a low of 62. Tomorrow, we'll have cloudy skies with a couple of showers in the morning. It'll be followed by a thunderstorm in parts of the area in the afternoon. Expect a high of 76. Wednesday will be mostly cloudy with periods of rain in the morning becoming breezy in the afternoon, noticeably cooler with a high of 58. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer
3: Camping season will be here soon up here in the Northeast and that kind of in, you know, and the kind that uh, involves campfires and roasting marshmallows is the one I'm talking about. But there are lots of people in, uh, in lots of American cities who are doing a different kind of camping. It's uh, done on the sidewalk with no campfires and I don't know maybe they have marshmallows, but I don't think it's, it's not the kind of camping you normally think about. Voters in one city decided enough was enough and voted to end it on Saturday in a big way. And Matt McCoviak, who's chairman of the Travis County Texas Republicans, had a lot to do with it. He joins us now. Matt, thanks for being here. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. So you're getting uh, national attention. I don't mean just you personally, but you are too. Uh, But uh, this story is getting national attention for the big win for Proposition B, I believe it was. What was the proposition?
0: Yeah, I think you and I have talked about this uh, on your station before, a few times before. But, yeah, we, we have yeah. this camping ordinance in Austin that's been such a disaster where they, uh, July 1st, 2019, allowed uh, individuals to camp anywhere they wanted in the city with very few restrictions. And because of that, that unre- unregulated camping, we've had a you know, massive spike in the population size. And, of course, you know, profound consequences for city parks, for neighborhoods, for intersections, mm-hmm. uh, you name it, small businesses, et cetera. So yeah, we put something on the ballot that was on the municipal elections, uh, this coming, this past Saturday, uh, after working on it for 10 weeks, uh, during the campaign portion. And we were successful 58%, 42%, 91,000 votes, uh, probably 40 to 50% Democratic support, 90% independent support, and 92% Republican support. It's a winning coalition in a Democratic city like Austin. So this was a significant victory. As you said, I was on Fox and Friends this morning. There's a drudge link to a story in the Federalist that ran, I think, yesterday as well. So, Yeah, it is getting attention. It's showing, I think, in some of these urban areas where things have gone so crazy that you can actually kind of pull back uh, once people realize the uh, consequences of these far-left policies.
3: Well, you know what doesn't help is uh, referring to it as camping, okay? Uh I mean, camping is, you know, you have marshmallows and, and, uh, you know, a campfire and... Uh, the kids in sleeping bags. It's When did it become called camping? I mean, and, that, and I got to believe that there's a reason that they decided to use that word.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what the other word would be. I mean, in, in a way, I guess you would use the word vagrancy because uh, yeah. honestly, that's what the policy was doing is it was just effectively incentivizing uh, vagrancy as a lifestyle choice, and that's not good for anyone. It's not good for the residents. It's not good for small businesses, and it's certainly not good for the homeless. You know, these unregulated uh, camp encampments are a real disaster. I mean, they're extremely unsafe. You have hard drugs, you have human waste, physical waste that's created, sex trafficking, home, you know, you know uh, human trafficking, you have you know stabbings and rapes and all kinds of just horrific things that are happening in every single one of these unregulated campgrounds. You know, you can have campgrounds, but, you know, San Antonio has one that's a, that's a regulated, centralized, single, single space where they have services on site and police and it's safe. You can, what you can't have is unregulated camping, and that's what Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, and Honolulu all have. And it's been a disaster. And, and a lot of us you know, made, this, made these points before this policy took effect. It's been in place for two years. It's absolutely destroyed our city. And we had a resounding victory going against nine of our ten council members and our mayor who were all on the other side who wanted to continue this disastrous policy. So we had, we had some success with Save Austin now. I think it's a model you can take to other cities, potentially, if other cities are fed up with, uh, with, this, with this policy.
3: What was involved in, in getting it on the ballot? Because uh, you've been... Yeah. I, I, as you said, I've had you on the show here because I think this is an amazing story that they let this go on, and and that the, and it's kind of a new thing in Austin where they actually invited it. Um, but you yeah. needed to get this as a referendum to get rid of it. How hard was that? Yeah.
0: yeah, I, John, I've been working on this for, for 23 months. I mean, oh. it's just an astounding amount of time invested in something like this. It shouldn't take that long. But we had to actually do two separate petition drives the, uh, you have to get 20,000 signed petitions in Austin to put something on the ballot. And they said we were 900 short on the first effort after turning in almost 25,000. And we've actually, we're actually sued, and we're still suing over that. We'll see where that ultimately gets resolved. But um, in the meantime, we started a second petition effort December 1st of, of last year, and we, we, we collected almost 6,000 more petitions in one-third the time. So once we got certified for the ballot in late February, we ran a 10-week uh, uh, campaign. We raised $1.75 million. It's never been done before from 3,000 donors. Uh, seventy-three percent of the donations were under two hundred dollars. So you know we had enormous support for this. I think you know this is not a downtown issue. It's it's a, it's a neighborhood by neighborhood by neighborhood issue. I think you know the vast majority of residents saw this policy destroying the city, and I think the one issue you know that we do have to be careful about is there is there is a, a real sense of compassion for homeless individuals. And like mm-hmm. some of them just kind of are, are falling on hard times. Some of them made lots of bad choices. Some of them, yes, are, are choosing that lifestyle. And we have to deal with those populations separately. We all want them to be safe. They're not safe living under bridges and on the side of highways. Um, So that's simply not working, and we can't incentivize that behavior and those lifestyle choices. Many of them have drug and alcohol addiction and mental health challenges. Those are the individuals that need to be off the streets, that need to be getting help uh, to manage the the challenges that they're facing. And and honestly, that was not what was happening with this policy here in Austin.
3: Why was the ban lifted, Matt? I mean, is it just um, as a main means of pointing out the homeless problem so that they could, as, as an advertisement for homelessness?
0: Yeah, I think it kind of was. I think there's probably financial you know, incentive. Uh, they've spent something like $161 million over the last three years. They're now talking about spending $500 million over the next three years. And that's now is only 3,000 people. We believe we have 5,000 at least. And there was a report last week that it could be as high as 10,000. So there is a financial motivation here. I don't think we can ignore that. Um, I think the other mindset is that there's an ideology on the left that kind of says homeless people should be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, wherever they want. That you know, even private property is public property, right? That, as I just saw a sign as I was driving around in Austin, housing is a human right. And that's like saying boats, boats are a human right. I mean, these are commodities. Someone somewhere had to produce them. They had costs associated with them. Right, right. You can't, you can't make commodities a human right. And that's absurd. Um, now, again, that doesn't mean we don't want to try to find safe and, and, and uh, sheltered and clean environments for people who are in desperate situations, particularly on a temporary basis. I think we all want that, uh, you know, in a way that's, that's, uh, that's fair to taxpayers and efficient and effective. That's one of the challenges we've had in Austin is they've done almost nothing to house the homeless over the last three years despite spending this massive amount of money, but they're only increasing going forward.
3: Um, I, this the, the whole thing about um, uh, helping the homeless is... It, it it you know you, you everybody i think feels some kind of compassion for it but why would anybody be surprised that this proposition that you were able to get on the ballot would uh be so uh it would be it, it would it would win so handily uh and and be so many people would be in favor of it who wants to see uh people yeah. living in tents on the sidewalk i mean who's for that yeah it's a, it's a great question,
0: and I, I kind of was, was on, on some level surprised we didn't win with 90 percent. On the other hand, uh, you have to understand the Democratic Party has been dominant in Austin for as long as I've been here, since 1984. And we have generally about 25 percent of our electorate that's Republican, right? So we have 58 percent support that's overperforming 33 percent, generally speaking. Cause Republicans were you know, uniformly for this. Um, Democrats were more split. And so, you know, they ran kind of the same campaigns they've always run that have always worked here. They tried to attack me personally. They said I was a bad Christian. Um, you know, they said that we were trying to throw homeless people in jail, which we're not. Um, but ultimately, we, 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 you know, ran a very serious campaign. I think this is a lesson, uh, you know, John, for everybody out there. If you want to run, even on the local level, you know, a campaign to, to achieve something, to elect someone or pass a proposition, you have to run a real campaign. And we did that. We did massive amounts of voter identification. We did. We collected massive amounts of data. There's something like 40,000 email addresses now and over 1,000 volunteers. We raised $1.75 million in 10 weeks. It's never been done before in Austin history. And so um, in the end, we overperformed considerably. um, But on the other hand, it is kind of disappointing to know that 42% of the people who voted wanted to continue this insane policy that's clearly failing. So we do have a lot of voter education still to do, um, but this this was a big win for Austin. I mean, I think if we'd lost here, Austin would have been lost forever. I really believe that. I think it would have involved yeah, the, the far-left extreme people who are pushing these things.
3: The, uh, the campaign was called Save Austin Now, right? Yep. And you, yep. That, that's what you were selling? That we, the city was in big trouble if this wasn't stopped?
0: No, that's right. The, 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 the nonprofit that we started was called Save Austin Now. The PAC was called Save Austin Now PAC. And we do believe this is about saving our city. And I will say to you that the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to now overturn the defund the police thing in November. Our, our, our city city council uh, cut the police budget by one-third last September, and the consequences of that have been profound. We have the same number of police officers today that we had in 2008 when we were 45% as large as we are today. We're going to double our all-time ra- uh, record for homicides this year. You'd think that would wake people up. Uh, we can't retain, we can't recruit, we can't pay overtime. We can't even graduate the current cadet class, which is the most diverse in history uh, because of some, some racial, uh, you know, racial issue they're trying to allege that happened. So yeah, we we have some real problems here. This is a far left city that, that I don't think is I don't think it's as far left as, as its elected officials are, and I think that's what yeah, we that's showed it. on Saturday. But we have to keep showing that.
3: Uh, we're talking to Matt Makoviac. He's the chairman of the Travis County Republican Party. Uh, that's in Austin, Texas. And um, I I, I got to ask you. You know, you just pointed out that that uh, people came out and voted pretty strongly in favor of uh, ending camping on the street, and yeah. so you have. So you have a mayor and a city council, which I understand is ten Democrats, one Republican. Yeah. Um, so you have you have those people in power, and you have this proposition, and you have people pooping in the street, and you have murders skyrocketing. If the election yeah. were held tomorrow, would the uh, would the mayor be reelected? No matter no, who ran for the would. Republicans.
0: No, I and I don't know that it would be Republicans. We have nonpartisan elections down here, and it's pretty hard for Republicans to win citywide races. We can win maybe a, a, a council district here or there, but it's really hard to win citywide. But, no, I don't believe the mayor will be reelected. I think his numbers are pretty bad. You know, he putting, putting himself so, so firmly on the other side of this issue, as he has for the last two years, doubling down at every opportunity rather than taking an exit ramp. has put him, you know, on the wrong side of a major issue. And he's going to be on the wrong side of defund, too. You have to understand, when that passed last September, it passed unanimously. Okay, the one Republican wasn't elected yet. I, I, just, I, I worked to raise $500,000 to get her elected. November, December last year, they passed it last September. So you had 11 zero votes cut one third of our police budget, right? And that should give you an idea how extreme our city council is in this one city. And in a lot of cities around the country, whether it be, you know, whether it be Minneapolis, whether it be, you know, places like Detroit, Chicago, I'm not sure about Pittsburgh at this stage, but probably Philadelphia, Los Angeles, San Francisco, you know, these cities are, are filled with extreme people on the far left. These are not you know, you know, standard sort of pro-choice, pro-choice you know, demo, you know, moderate Democrats, generally speaking. These are really extreme people uh, that really you know, believe in rep, you know, reparations and, and, and getting rid of police and this camping ordinance and all these crazy things that are making life worse in big cities. And so I think the opportunity here and the model here, John, to think about is how do you build coalitions that are, that are big enough and broad enough and pick the right issues that you can make a real difference? And that's what I think we're going to try to do in Austin. And we're going to see if there are other cities around the country that are interested in that. And if Pittsburgh you know, wanted to take that on in some way, I'd be more than more than happy to come up there and try to help.
3: You know what, though, uh, Matt? I don't hear any talk at all about a homeless problem in Pittsburgh. I'm not saying there aren't homeless people, but yeah. there's nothing like I see in these other places uh, uh, that I know of where people are uh, using the word camping on the sidewalk. I just don't see it. It's yeah, not it's happening more of a warm
0: weather. It's more of a warm weather problem, yeah. right? Winters are so brutal in, in Pittsburgh and Philly and New York up northeast. Those cities are not that popular. And, and in fact, there are cities where it's too hot, like Phoenix, I mean, is too hot in the summer as well. It's, it's really more like, like for California it can be good for that. So it's really climate-driven, but it's also driven by mm-hmm. policy. And this is one of the things we saw is when they put this camping order into effect, you know, we saw people from all over the country come here, all over the country come here. How do they get here? They're, if they're entirely broke, they have nowhere to sleep. How do they get here? Who's providing the resources for them to get here? Uh, how long are they staying? Are taxpayers you know, required to, to, to handle housing for them for the rest of their lives because they came here out of nowhere? Uh, because of a, a ridiculous policy that now we've repealed, I mean, I, I don't know what, what's what's the what's the appropriate standard for that. So it's it's something we're gonna have to look at. But but ultimately, this was a major victory. I mean, Austin is the most progressive city in Texas. Travis County is the most democratic county in Texas by far. Um, and you know, we over we we kind of went against uh, the grain on that a bit, and we're able to build a coalition that was a, that was a clear majority on a public safety issue. And we did it very effectively in 10 weeks. And, you know, again, I, we're going to keep building. We have a massive army we're building in Austin. I realize that's one, one city around the country that's a long distance from Pittsburgh. But if we can do it here, John, it can be done anywhere. I absolutely believe that now, and I've seen it.
3: Well, I, it, well the thing that drives me nuts is that, you know, you have uh, a mayor uh, and you have 11 city, city council people, 10 Democrats. I'm guessing that they live in Austin. What yeah. do their neighbors say to them when they say uh, when they know that they voted for for this? Uh, how do they keep their jobs? And and um, I mean, I, I just don't know how how this uh, something like this happens if 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 the if the unless the voters in the city where it's happening are responsible for it. Uh, Portland, Seattle, yeah. people are voting for these people. Yeah, there's no
0: question that that there's been a disconnect between the policies that. Elected officials run on and then implement once they're in office, and how the voters make decisions. And I think that's one of the things we really changed uh, on, on, you know, on Saturday, is that people now are, are going to start to connect the results of policies with the elected officials that vote for them. And that's why you need a group like ours that's going to do that education, that's going to connect, you know, votes and resolutions with consequences. We did that on the homeless, where it was a, I think it was an eight to three vote, might have been a, a nine to two vote, I can't remember. Back in, back in June of 2019, um, on, on the as I said on the on the police, it was 11 nothing. We don't even need to look at the vote vote roll. I mean, every, every single one of them voted to beef on the police, and I guarantee you that's a 10 or 20 percent issue across this city. So the the, 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 the challenge is that, the, that these council members don't listen; they don't care what their constituents think. City council meetings are set up in such a way that you cannot really give feedback. The first time I was there testifying, I had to wait 13 hours. I testified at 1:30 in the morning for three minutes. And that's not you know, that's not a system that, that makes it easy for people to to, to give feedback. Right? So yeah. I do think we've, we've we've changed the game a bit here. Uh we gotta keep going though. This is this is one fight. Uh, we got other fights ahead and we got a war that's that's much bigger and much broader than this.
3: Well, I, I'm out of time, but I did see uh that you got a chance to come back to Pittsburgh for a Penguins game. So you worked that in while you were. I did. They the won stats. yeah,
0: they won they beat the Bruins one nothing at home. You know, not the most exciting game of all time, but um, But Gensel had a a great wrist shot there in the third period to to keep him in first place in the division. So can't wait to the playoffs.
3: All right, Yeah, hey, that should be good. Hey, Matt, always good to have you on. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right, that's Matt McCobiak, and we'll be right back.
6: that micro support you need for all day comfort and help prevent fatigue. Not only that, my slippers are made with high quality leather and a premium indoor outdoor sole that make them extremely durable. I personally guarantee they're going to be the most comfortable slippers you'll ever own.
3: This is John Steyerwald. Visit mypillow.com for deep discounts on all my pillow products, including the new my slippers. Click the radio listener square and enter promo code STAG or call 800 716 8087. Remember, use that promo code STAG.
4: I have two dogs, Sam and Bailey. Both are golden retrievers. Poor Sam. He was a mess. Always itching. His paws were soaking wet all day from just constant licking. He had bald spots on his back. I just don't like putting shots and steroids into your dog all the time. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dynovite is nutrition. Probably two weeks after he started Dynovite, I started seeing
8: You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I
4: get my Dinovite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. It seems like
7: just yesterday when I captured my son's first steps or when we recorded his soccer games on VHS tapes. Those moments are gone. But the old home movies and pictures don't need to be. That's why my son created Legacy Box.
8: That's right, Mom. Over 800,000 families have used Legacy Box to digitally preserve their home movies and photos.
7: Simply fill Legacy Box with your old camcorder tapes, film, and photos. They will professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud.
8: With families staying close and Mother's Day around the corner, it's the perfect time to get your Legacy Box and save your family's history. After all, few things are as important as protecting your precious memories. Give your mom a Mother's Day present she'll never forget.
7: Plus, Legacy Box is offering a 50% discount.
8: Order your Legacy Box today. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX and for a limited time, get an incredible 50% off your order. This is one of the best discounts we've offered. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX for 50% off. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX.
6: You're listening to the John wall
2: Show on AM 1250. The Answer.
3: Well, I, uh, I'm i on Twitter at, um, um, at SteigerWorld. And as I'm talking to you now, I'm just uh, responding to a guy named Seth Davis who's... Um, Seth Davis is the uh, he's a college hoops reporter for CBS Sports. He has 300,000 followers, and somehow uh, I got through to him. Uh, he tweeted uh, just a little while ago, uh, 15 minutes ago actually, he tweets, So the answer is clear. There are basically zero examples of identified-at-birth males, those are men or boys, playing female sports. Seems to be a lot of talking and voting to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Why can't they just stay in their lanes and stick to politics? So uh I responded with this. Does Connecticut count? Uh That being the uh case that I think everybody knows about. Uh Everybody in sports should know about it. The girls in uh, Connecticut who had to see their uh, state championships won by two guys who competed against them dressed as women. Uh, and then I also um, included um, another story about uh, CeCe Telfer. Uh, she says she has no benefits from being trans. She's a track star. Uh, Franklin Pierce uh, College had a, a, a transgender woman, a man, win some uh, Division Three track championships, I think. And then there's the uh, transgender fighter Fallon Fox broke her opponent's skull in an MMA fight. So um, I sent that to Seth and he responded with um, that's three including his, and I, what I included in there was a 62 year a uh, 52 year old woman at a community college uh, who's six foot six or something like that and playing uh, against women. Um, I, I included that story when I sent my reply to him and he says, that's three including a 52-year-old at a community college, is that all you got? And I said, you said zero. These guys refuse to accept the fact that this is a a can of worms that's about to be opened, and that includes Seth Davis, who's a big shot at CBS, who doesn't have a clue about the issue. Uh, But uh, maybe I'll get him on the show. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye.
1: John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.